0: This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor.
1: And I'm physician and journalist, Dr Norman Swan. It's Monday, the 15th of November, 2021.
0: And Norman, a couple of days ago, I asked you to gaze into a crystal ball and tell us what next winter was going to look like with COVID. And you did, and it was very, very entertaining. But actually, you don't need to anymore because it's coming into winter in the Northern Hemisphere. And actually, what's happening in Europe, at least, is a little little unsettling. So we're seeing... Case numbers really seeming to rise, especially in countries that we've looked to as examples of ourselves before. One of those places is Denmark. They've got really high vaccination rates, similar to what we're aiming for, but they're still looking at bringing back restrictions just because of how much the case numbers are spiking there.
1: Yes. So Denmark's got in the high 80% uh, vaccination rates above 12. It opened up on the 10th of September. It had a staged opening up through the northern summer, and i think it opened up at 3 or 400 cases a day so now it's at 83 80 well over 80% of its highest peak so well over 2000 cases what do you mean by that so 80% of what it oh, 80% of the largest number of cases it ever got that's where it's back that's where it's back to i think they had something like 2900 cases the other day a rolling average of about 2000 a day so they're, they've gone right back up. Their hospitalization rates are not astronomic. They've got over 300 people in hospital, maybe about 316, I think, on Saturday, 43 people um, in ICU, 22 of whom are being ventilated. So those numbers are going up slowly but, but steadily in terms of hospitalizations, but it is partly decoupled from the uh, case numbers. But nonetheless, they are worried and they're uh, introducing some extra international restrictions. I think they're focusing on Singapore initially uh, to go into short quarantine. And they're talking about other public health and social measures such as returning to masks if this doesn't abate. Then if you look at the rest of Europe, things are not good news in the rest of, of Europe. So we have talked before about how Eastern Europe, those countries are very low immunisation rates. For example, Georgia is only something like 24% vaccinated. But you've got Austria, Belgium, Ireland, Germany going up quite considerably. Belgium is now the 10th highest highest caseload reportedly. So they are going up. How do those countries compare to us in terms of vaccination? Belgium is about 74% of the total population fully vaccinated, which is, I'd have to do the back of the envelope, but it's it's getting up towards the the Danish level. So it's above 80%. Um, of the 12 pluses, well above 80% of the 12 of the twelve plus age group. You compare it to the United States, for example, at about 60%, the UK at about 65% of the total population. So it's not bad, but it, what it goes to show is that um, even very good coverage does not necessarily protect you when it comes into winter if you've lifted most of your restrictions.
0: So we're coming into year three of this pandemic. We're all over it. We've The vast, vast majority of Australians have gone out and done the right thing and have either gotten or are getting both of their vaccinations. When, if ever, does life go to anything that resembles normal?
1: Well, we're going to be a bit of a test bed for that. So we're going to get to very high levels. We'll get to 95%, 12+. plus. We're going to be slow at getting to five-year-olds to eleven-year-olds, and that's going to make a big difference to population coverage when we do, as well as protection of that age group. So that's but that's not going to start until the beginning of next year. So we're pretty well covered. But the problem will be is the is waning immunity into next year and also the fact that Astra does wane faster than Pfizer. And so one of the reasons they believe that you're seeing a surge in Europe at the moment is that you've got quite a few countries where where the dominant vaccine has been Astra. And it wanes faster than Pfizer. And it may well be that they haven't got onto boosters fast enough.
0: We'll have boosters before next winter, though.
1: We do have boosters and we've got in early. So the news may well be good. For us, we will have very high levels of immunisation, 12 plus. And then we've started our booster campaign. But we're going to have to make it clear to the Australian public like Fauci has, is that if we really don't want surges to come back, we've actually, the boosters are non-negotiable. I mean, we're not going to force people to have them, but if people think they're optional, they're really not. They're part of the immunisation programme and we should get onto it.
0: So you said just now that Astra wanes faster than Pfizer, but we've had people saying that we have said on this podcast before that it's the other way around. Can we just clear that up?
1: When we said that, that was the data from Public Health England showing that Astra seemed to be maintaining its level of immunity and Pfizer was dipping below. But two or three weeks later, they changed their data to show that, in fact, Astra was waning faster than Pfizer. So I think that they just went prematurely with that. So the data are clear now that Astra does wane faster uh, to the extent that it's maybe three or four months in that Astra starts to lose significant immunity as opposed to five or six months with uh, Pfizer.
0: Science is incremental and iterative and i think that scientists understand this but i wonder i i hope the general public can understand that it sometimes feels like we're flip-flopping, Norman, and that's really not the case.
1: <laughs> well, we are flip-flopping, Tegan, really. We're flip-flopping with the evidence, unfortunately. And we've done that since the beginning of COVID, to be, really to be transparent with all our coronacasters.
0: But that sounds so, like, to say that sounds so, like, how can people trust science when they feel like that's the message that they're getting?
1: Well, I think that in COVID, it, it, there has been an element of trust involved because We've had to go with data which do change day by day, week by week, thousands of papers being published, many of them not peer reviewed. And that's created a bit of bouncing around in terms of the data. It has settled down a lot. But this is, you know, and if you go back to last year with what we were talking about last year, we were correcting data, you know, not too frequently, but on a reasonably regular basis. And this is certainly one piece of data that we've had to correct more recently.
0: I think that it's good to just take a step back and go. We We talk a lot about on this podcast, and of course, the scientific papers are all looking at very fine detail. But on the broad, if you take a step back and look at the whole data set, vaccines, Very, very good. Very good at reducing your chances of getting very sick, reducing your chances of passing it on. Even if the immunity wanes, it's still very protective. Third doses, even better. Just this this sense that, yes, it's okay. Things are shifting, but it's not the ground shifting beneath your feet. It's just some of the details shifting.
1: Yes. But again, with vaccines, because they were developed with a total focus on safety, and effectiveness last year, they did compress the middle bit, which was dose calculation. And that's where we're settling, that's what we're settling into now. So we can be utterly confident, like you say, that the vaccines are safe and that they're effective, all three that are available in Australia. What we're seeing now with the booster issue is that. If they'd had time to actually develop in a non-pandemic situation, they would have been launched as three-dose vaccines. And that's really what we're seeing now. So we've not resiled from safety. We've not resiled from effectiveness. As you say, those data are solid. What's been less than solid is just the right dose to get you the maximum immunity. And that's why the third dose starts to become very important to prevent surges like they're seeing in Europe and they have seen in Israel.
0: And on vaccines, there's a person here who's written to us at abc.net.au slash coronacast, as all of us can if, if, if we have questions that we want to ask you and me, Norman. This person's saying, since the pandemic started, there's been a massive ramping up of technology development relating to vaccines. If they can develop a vaccine for a new pathogen so quickly, what's next? Can the technology used in COVID vaccines be used for other pathogens? If so, how exciting? Do we know of anything in the pipeline?
1: It's a really good question. And I think you're going, what you're going to see in short is the mRNA technology, that's in other words, inserting a genetic message into cells to get the cells to do stuff that the cells wouldn't have otherwise done, is going to leap ahead by leaps and bounds. So I think you're going to see that particularly used in cancer therapy, for example, maybe in cancer vaccines, maybe even in, in getting cells to produce proteins that could be therapeutic in their own right, rather than uh, being involved in the immune system. You're going to see quite sophisticated vaccine technology. You might actually see mRNA vaccines slipping behind the curtain a little bit and other vaccines with a very hefty immune response, which are more traditional vaccines coming through in the second generation vaccines. It's going to be really interesting to see how vaccine development evolves in the times to come. And antivirals, you've seen antiviral medications being produced an incredibly short period of time. And are we close to getting the broad spectrum antiviral, which is the holy grail here, which means the next time a new virus pops up, we're going to have the equivalent of penicillin for it or amoxicillin for it so that it actually knocks it off because we've got a broad spectrum antiviral medication on the shelf. These are the sorts of things that are just hanging around there, hopefully, come ready to come out of labs
0: it's come at a a huge price but it really is really exciting for science
1: yeah i think big leaps forward and also showing that you know the can do mentality it doesn't have to take 20 years to develop a new drug
0: well it's everything for today's coronacast but we'll catch you tomorrow
1: see you then